Hi, everyone, and welcome once again to our Midweek Bible Study 2022 Summer Edition. That's right, Summer Edition is here. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. It is an honor to be with you today. Thanks for taking time to join me. It is Wednesday, June 8th. Well, we've officially started our summer schedule, so here's what's happening. We're not going to be meeting in person for the Midweek Bible Study as we have every Wednesday so for the months of June, July, and August, which is usually our time off, we will continue, however, to have an online study. So no in-person, but an online study right here on this media platform so that you can stay connected. Guess what? It's a brand new 13-week study. We start today from the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. Yeah, I'm so excited about this. This first study today is titled Divisions in the Church. We're going right at it. Because we're talking about the overall title of the study is taking on tough issues. Well, that's the first issue we're going to be dealing with, divisions in the church. We're going to be studying 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. So you might want to get your Bible or Bible app ready for that. I'll tell you more in a moment. Got a lot to unpack today. But before we do, as always, let's begin with a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord Most High. Thank you for this amazing opportunity to continue studying your word through the summer months. Lord, thank you for those that have come to listen and or watch today. We are so thankful for them. Bless them, Father, for their faithfulness to continue to study and grow in your word. Lord, we love you. Teach us as we begin this journey talking about division in the church. In Christ's name, and everyone said, Amen. Today we're beginning, as I said, our journey through 1 Corinthians and we're going to look at the thankful heart that Paul has for his fellow believers, but also his concern for the divisions that are disrupting the fellowship. So here's a couple of opening questions to get us started. Number one, when you were eight years old, who was your hero? And what about this person did you especially want to emulate? Can you remember? Well, it's like yesterday remembering for me, at eight years old, my hero was Superman. I grew up watching the TV show and always felt like Clark Kent, a little bit out of place, a little bit clumsy at times, but I gained a lot of confidence through that character because I learned I could face anything, and though I couldn't leap a tall building in a single bound or fly faster than a speeding bullet, I could try my hardest, and as long as I did that, then I could be happy and successful. Question two, growing up. With whom did you quarrel the most? And what was it about? You know, funny, I don't remember there being anybody specific, either family or friends that I quarreled with. But I grew up in a neighborhood where there was about a dozen of us boys. And as you might imagine, we disagreed many a time over seemingly meaningless things like who's going to go first or who gets picked first for a team or who's playing a game that we don't want to play or whatever who's going to ride their bike, who's walking, things like that. And finally, our opening question, number three, what are you most thankful for about your church? First of all, I am absolutely humbly thankful that they asked me to be their minister. I'm also thankful for their caring and accepting spirit. And lastly, I'm most thankful that they love the Lord and that they're willing to learn more and more about him and be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. Let's get into this Bible study. Are you ready? Here we go. The Corinthian church was a gifted church. And as we're about to read, 
Paul was amazed at how God had blessed this local body of believers. But carnality was also present, as we'll discover throughout this whole book. So let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. Hope you have your Bible or Bible app open. If you need, just pause this broadcast and then let's get to it. And while we're doing this, I want you to note how division was hurting the church. Here we go, starting with verse 1. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, and from our brother Sosthenes. I'm writing to God's church in Corinth, to you who have been called by God to be his own holy people. He made you holy by means of Jesus Christ, just as he did for all people everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. I always thank my God for you and for the gracious gifts he's given you now that you belong to Jesus Christ. Through him, God has enriched your church in every way, with all of your eloquent words and all your knowledge. This confirms that what I told you about Christ is true. Now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from all the blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. God will do this, for he is faithful to do what he says, and he has invited you into partnership with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church, Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. For some member of Chloe's household have told me about your quarrels, my dear brothers and sisters. Some of you are saying, I am a follower of Paul. Others are saying, I follow Apollos, or I follow Peter, or I follow only Christ. Has Christ been divided into factions? Was I, Paul, crucified for you? Were any of you baptized in the name of Paul? Of course not. I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, for now no one can say that they were baptized in my name. Oh yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus, but I don't remember baptizing anyone else. For Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the good news, and not with clever speech, for fear that the cross of Christ would lose its power. Amen. Powerful, powerful passage as we start today. Are you ready for some study questions? Here we go. Going to be diving in right now. Question one. If you were to write a letter to someone right now to tell this person that you thank God for him or her, to whom would you write? And what would you thank God for about this person? I would write to a brother in Christ. His name is James Mobley. You may have heard me mention him in previous studies as an illustration. James introduced me to Jesus Christ in 1978. I wasn't receptive to his invitation for many, many months. But in a time of personal crisis, I went to him asking for help, and he welcomed me and invited me to receive the greatest gift I've ever received, Jesus. That's who I'd like to send a letter to and thank him. Question two. When there are divisions or quarrels between you and a friend or family member, what is most frequently at the heart of the quarrel? Would it be money? Maybe control issues? How about political differences? Maybe theological differences? Or the priority the friendship or relationship should have? 
Or maybe there's something else that is at the heart of the quarrel. What would it be? Most of the time, it's with a family member, for me anyway, and it would be about money or money-related things. Funny how it's talked about so many times in Scripture, more than most other subjects. All right, number three. Verse four reads, I always thank my God for you and for the gracious gifts he's given you now that you belong to Christ Jesus. Here's the question. What was Paul particularly thankful for in the Corinthians? Paul affirmed the Corinthians' privilege of belonging to the Lord and receiving his grace, the power God gave them to speak out for him and understand his truth and the reality of their spiritual gifts. Number four, verses five and six, they read, Through him, God has enriched your church in every way, with all of your eloquent words and all your knowledge. This confirms what I told you about Christ is true. Here's the question. In what ways did God enrich the church in Corinth? The church had been enriched in their eloquence in speaking about God and in their knowledge of him. Greeks attached great importance to speaking and knowledge. God's grace had increased their ability to speak about their faith, as well as their spiritual knowledge and understanding. These facts, both seen by Paul himself and reported to him by others, served to confirm his testimony about Christ to the Corinthian believers. The changed lives of these believers, they validated the truth of the gospel message that had been preached to them. Number five, verse eight says, he will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. Here's the question. What promises from the Lord do the Corinthians have in this verse, verse number eight? Well, there will be an end to the eager waiting of the believers. If you look at verse seven, you'll see that. Why? Because Christ will return. Not only have the believers received gifts for building up the church and standing against sin, but Christ would also keep them strong until the day of his return. Because Christ has died for believers, given them spiritual gifts and promised to return for them, Paul guaranteed these believers that God would also consider them free from all blame. This guarantee was not because of their great gifts or their shining performance, but because of what Jesus Christ accomplished for them through his death and resurrection. Number six, look at verse nine. It says, God will do this for he is faithful to do what he says and has invited you into partnership with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Here's the question about verse nine. What assurance about God do the Corinthians and us have from this verse. I think it's this. Believers need never doubt God's grace, his gifts, or his promise to give them eternal life because God always does what he says. God has promised, and because he cannot lie, believers can be certain that all of his promises will come true. God himself had invited each of the Corinthian believers into friendship with his son, and that call will never be rescinded. All right, we're doing well. You guys are doing great. Hang in there. Here's number seven. The major theme in 1 Corinthians is unity in the church. Verse 10 says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Here's the question. Why did Paul implore the Corinthians to live in harmony? And what would happen to the church 
if they didn't comply. Well, in short, internal divisions within the church would only cause strife and hinder the gospel, as well as make the church look ridiculous to those on the outside. Now, a little bit more background. To live in harmony with each other, to allow for no divisions and be of one mind, does not require everyone to believe exactly the same. There's a difference between having opposing viewpoints and being divisive. A group of people will not completely agree on every issue, but they can work together harmoniously if they agree on what truly matters. And what truly matters is Jesus Christ is Lord of all. The bottom line here is that petty differences should never divide Christians. Amen? Amen. Number eight, verses 12 and 13 say, Some of you are saying, I am a follower of Paul. Others are saying, I follow Apollos, or I follow Peter, or I follow only Christ. Has Christ been divided into factions? Was I, Paul, crucified for you? Were any of you baptized in the name of Paul? Of course not. Here's the question. What was the quarrel all about? What was this quarrel all about? And has your church experienced this? If so, what did they do to resolve it? These factious groups followed different preachers for different reasons. Some of the believers followed Paul, who had founded the church. Others chose to follow Peter, one of the twelve disciples of Jesus. A third group chose to follow Apollos. He was an eloquent, very popular preacher who had a dynamic ministry in Corinth. And lastly, a fourth group claimed to follow only Christ. This group may have been boasting about a special relationship they had with Christ, or that they felt they had with Christ, or that they've been positioning themselves way above the fray, saying that they only follow Christ alone. We're the only ones. We're the only right way. Paul asked whether Christ could be divided. This is a graphic picture of what happens when the church, the body of Christ, quarrels. Then Paul asked if he himself had been crucified for them. Well, obviously no, because only one had been crucified. His name was Jesus. There was only one who paid the penalty for sin. Were the believers baptized into the name of Paul? Definitely not. Now, as far as the question, the second part of the question that asked, has your church experienced this? In my last ministry, there was in fact a quarrel that fractured the church and the results were devastating. And there was no permanent resolution. There were a lot of band-aids, but there was no permanent solution. And as a result, the church eventually closed its doors. That was just sad. Folks, don't let your appreciation for any teacher or preacher or leader lead you into intellectual pride. Our allegiance must be to Christ and Christ alone and to the unity that he desires. Question nine. Why can cliques and divisions cause so much damage in the church? You know, the church today, as it was in Jesus' day, is a diverse group of people, a melting pot of different backgrounds, differences in culture, opinion, skin color, all kinds of background things. It's the perfect breeding ground for division. Allegiances are formed because of shared likes and dislikes, and people then choose a side or a person to be loyal to. And the sad part is that these church people don't even realize that they were or should be all working toward a shared vision. Not their vision, but the shared vision of the church. We are different in many ways, but we are the same in one way that matters. 
We've all experienced salvation by grace through faith in Jesus. Our mission to see the gospel spread throughout the world unites us, or at least it's supposed to, despite our differences. Peter says in Acts 15, 8, that the same spirit lives in all of us. God has not made a distinction. Everyone who is in Christ is part of God's family. We are one body and we each have a role to fill. Embracing our differences and focusing on our united mission should help us reach more people with the good news about Christ. So let's be mindful that divisions in the church are cancerous to the body and fight for unity every chance we get. Number 10, verses 14 to 16. They read, I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. For now, no one can say that they were baptized in my name. Oh yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus, but I don't remember baptizing anyone else. Here's the question. Why did Paul say that he was glad he hadn't baptized most of the Corinthian Christians? Paul's questions about baptism in verse 13 lead him to note that he had baptized very few people in Corinth. He saw this as a providential thing, and he thanked God that he had baptized only Crispus, Gaius, and the household of Stephanus. Now, while Paul certainly had many converts in the city, he had not baptized them all. No one could claim that Paul had been baptizing people in order to obtain their loyalty as their special leader. Clearly, he was not attempting to make disciples for himself. Number 11. Question. In verse 17, Paul says he didn't come to baptize, but to preach the gospel. What does that mean? When Paul said that Christ didn't send him to baptize, he wasn't minimizing the importance of baptism. Baptism was commanded by Jesus Christ himself, Matthew 28, 19, and practiced in the early church. There are eight cases of conversion in Acts, and they all resulted in baptism. But you can take a look at Acts 2:41 to start. Paul was emphasizing that no one person should do everything. Paul's gift was preaching, and that's what he did. Christian ministry should be a team effort. No preacher or teacher is a complete link between God and people, and no individual can do all that the apostles did. We must be content with the contribution God has given us to make and carry it out wholeheartedly. And now our last question for today, number 12. If Paul were to write to you today asking you to do one thing to help heal a division between you and someone else, what do you think he'd tell you to do? I think Paul would say to do as Jesus told us to do in Matthew 18, verse 15. And that is, go to the person with whom I had a division or who I had a quarrel with and talk with him. Try to talk with him. Try to create a dialogue and ultimately pray with them with the goal of reconciliation. Well, let's recap briefly what we've talked about because we've come to the end of our study today. Today, we've looked at the causes behind the divisions of the Corinthian church and how these divisions are like our own experience. Now, next time, we're going to be studying 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 to the end of the chapter, and then chapter 2 up to verse 5. And we're going to consider the nature of Christian wisdom and how it compares to the wisdom of the world. You might want to read ahead. It's going to be a tremendous discussion as we work on what true wisdom really is. So until then, please take care. Thanks for joining me today. We'll be right back here next week. If you're in the greater New Braunfels area in here in South Central Texas, come by on Sunday morning at 1030. We'd love to see you. Otherwise, have a wonderful, beautiful rest of your week. God bless you. Go in peace. 
Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.